We are in for a treat. I have no idea what Edith, Edith is going to say. I just kind of know the message, just. <laughs> but I love Edith. She's so precious and just a gentle and quiet spirit about her. She's married to Reuben, and they have two sweet daughters, and she's a wonderful mom, wonderful wife. She's also a veterinarian, and it's hard for me to not ask her how I can help my dog be better, <laughs> but I don't, but later I will. Um, but anyway, Edith, thank you so much for saying yes and preparing this message this morning, and we look forward to hearing from you. Come on, Edith. Well, that is quite an introduction, and I don't know if uh, Amy knows how much she means to me and just how much she has been such a blessing in my life. And I'm very excited to be here this morning with you, and I am looking forward to what God has in store for us. Um, let me just, I know several people have prayed, but let me just also open us up in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this morning, God. Thank you for this opportunity to stand before your people, God, um, to deliver your message, Father. I pray that you would help me to decrease, Father. Pour me out as a drink offering before you, Lord. And I pray that you would fill us up with your word, God, and fill us up with your truth, God. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Father. And may you alone be glorified for you alone, are worthy. So we thank you and we bless your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, you know how they say a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, I definitely believe that in some instances that is the case, but I also believe that sometimes the picture doesn't necessarily convey the full message. Um, if you look at the screen here, you'll see a picture of my lovely family. And you may say about that picture, oh, that's such a sweet picture. Look at that beautiful family. That's my husband, Reuben, and my daughters, um, Joy and Jada. And I would agree with you that that is a sweet-looking picture. However, that picture, what it doesn't tell you, was taken shortly after Jada had just had a complete meltdown. Um, and Reuben had to usher her off to the side and give her um, kind of a stern scolding and talking to um, that included rebuke, but also included the promise of a piece of chocolate and some extra one-on-one -on -one daddy time if she managed to pull it together. Hence the vice grip like bear hug she's giving her daddy right now and the smile on her face. This next picture Two sisters just looks like they're horsing around, playing, having fun, right? Well, what this picture doesn't tell you is that we were probably about five seconds or so from this little tickling fun turning into an all-out brawl <laughs> had we not moved on to the next thing. This last picture looks like just two sweet sisters just posing, taking a picture together. Now this picture at first glance looks like that, but if you look a little bit more closely, you can see that it, the picture actually does tell a little bit more to the story. So this picture was taken um, 
shortly after threatening Joy that she needed to get closer to her sister and put her arm around her like she actually loved her. So they take the picture and we're thinking everything turned out fine. We get the pictures back and later on, I don't know if you can tell, she couldn't quite get that hand and those fingers to fully comply to loving her sister. Today, we are discussing discipleship. And my goal, by the help of the Holy Spirit, is to make sure that the picture I set before you today is clear and concise, genuine, not forced, with no ulterior motive except to see the name of Jesus Christ lifted high. So with that, let me begin with a definition. According to Mounts' complete expository dictionary, the word disciple comes from the Greek mathetes, which in general means learner. It's used 261 times in the New Testament, and it's a word most often used in the Bible to refer to a follower of Jesus. We're probably most familiar with Jesus' 12 disciples. Jesus' disciples were certainly that. They were learners. They were students, oftentimes learning lessons and truths that would not be fully realized until later on after Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus had many disciples, as we know, many people who followed him, who sat under his teaching and his preaching, yet those 12 whom he'd chosen would witness firsthand, up close and personal, Jesus' life, which modeled obedience, love, prayer, and humility to the glory of his heavenly Father. These 12, excluding Judas the traitor, along with Matthias, would become Jesus' chosen instruments through which the gospel message and truth of God's coming kingdom would be proclaimed. More and more disciples would be added to their numbers, being Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. It's in the city of Antioch that the disciples of Jesus Christ would first be called Christians. According to Mounts, a dedicated disciple was generally expected someday to become a rabbi himself. Yet Jesus teaches his disciples that he will always be their rabbi and they will have a lifetime of discipleship. So that leads me to ask the question then, what is discipleship? Discipleship within the Christian church involves teaching biblical precepts while modeling and guiding others toward living righteously as followers of Jesus. Let me repeat that definition one more time. Discipleship within the Christian church involves teaching biblical precepts while modeling and guiding others toward living righteously as followers of Jesus. The Apostle John, one of Jesus' 12 disciples and one of three disciples who represented Jesus's kind of inner circle, he shows us an example of what healthy disciples and discipleship look like in 2 John. Now, in order to have healthy discipleship, you must begin with healthy disciples. Before I move on, I said healthy discipleship and healthy disciples, not perfect discipleship or perfect disciples. There's a difference. There's a difference because a healthy disciple is always striving towards godliness. They're always striving towards holiness on this side of heaven. They're not perfect, but they're striving by the grace of God. In Robert E. Coleman's The Master Plan of Evangelism, he says concerning Jesus' disciples, they were impulsive, temperamental, 
easily offended, and had all the prejudices of their environment. In short, these men selected by the Lord to be his assistants represented an average cross-section of society in their day, not the kind of group one would expect to win the world for Christ. Yet, Jesus saw in these simple men the potential of leadership for the kingdom. They were indeed unlearned and ignorant, according to the world's standard, but they were teachable. Though often mistaken in their judgments and slow to comprehend spiritual things, they were honest men willing to confess their need. Their mannerisms may have been awkward and their abilities limited, but with the exception of the traitor, their hearts were big. What is perhaps most significant about them was their sincere yearning for God and the realities of his life. Let me read to you 2 John. If you'll turn with me to 2 John there's only one chapter, so 2 John 1. I'm going to read this letter in its entirety. The elder. Yes. Okay. If you're driving a gray expedition, you left your lights on. Again, 2 John 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth there abides in us, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. The author of this letter, the Apostle John, he refers to himself as the elder, John is acknowledging his pastoral authority in verse 1. The recipient of this letter is the elect lady and her children. So you may ask, who is this elect lady and who are her children? Many theologians believe that the elect lady in this letter is referring to one of the local churches and her children, therefore, are the followers of Jesus within that church. Dr. Warren Wiresby who is a well-known theologian, writer, and former pastor, believes that while John is certainly addressing a group in this letter, he's also addressing an individual. 
and believes that perhaps this letter was written to a godly mother and her children, or perhaps an assembly of believers meeting in the home of this elect lady, along with her family. Perhaps, according to Wiresby, John's intention is to address both the family and the congregation. Whichever way you choose to view it, there is no doubting that John's letter conveys a genuine fatherly concern and brotherly affection for this elect lady and her children. The reason for this love is because of something they all have in common. According to verse 1, something they all share, and that's a knowledge of the truth. And this truth is not just a bunch of facts that they've all decided to agree upon John tells us in his own words what this truth is. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the truth that John is referring to is the gospel. It's the good news that the holy and righteous God of the universe has made possible the reconciliation of sinful man to himself through the redemptive blood of his son, Jesus Christ, being fully God and fully man. Our eternity is dependent upon how we respond to this truth. If we believe it to be true and we humbly submit then to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we then, in fact, become his followers, his disciples. And according to 1 Corinthians 6.19, then, we're no longer our own, but we've been bought with a price to the glory of God. So it's the knowledge of this truth that compels these disciples, according to verse 1, indwells these disciples, according to verse 2, and propels these disciples. In verse 1, we see clearly that it's John's knowledge of the gospel truth that compels not only him to love, but all who know the truth of the gospel. In verse 2, we see clearly how this truth literally indwells them, indwells these believers, lives inside of each of them, and not just temporarily, but forever. And it's the confidence of verse 3 that grace, mercy, and peace will be not maybe, but will be with them from God the Father and Jesus Christ that propels them. These consequences of being disciples of Christ are just as true for us today. The truth of the gospel, it should compel us to love, not just what's lovely, but the unlovely. How? God's truth isn't just head knowledge. It literally lives inside each of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of God the Father and Christ Jesus' promise that his grace, mercy, and peace will be with us, we are equipped with the very thing that will propel us into walking in truth and love. John opens his greeting with love and truth, and he closes his greeting with truth and love. There is a harmonious union between love and truth truth and love. You can't have one without the other. John repeats the word truth five times in the first four verses. So we see the importance of this word and we'll dig a little bit deeper as we go on. So next John shares with the elect lady something that has caused him to rejoice greatly. 
that some of those children who have received the truth are now walking in it. Here's where we see the gospel is in fact compelling and propelling these disciples. We see the impact of discipleship among these believers. Their walk with the Lord is evident. Their witness isn't passive. It's not stagnant, but someone has taken the time to pour into these children, these followers of Jesus, and there is now an obvious outward effect, an effect that other people can actually see and bear witness to. In verses 5 through 6, the Apostle John reminds the elect lady that all of God's children must remember and obey God's commands to love one another. This is an old yet new commandment that has been taught since the beginning, but it's a commandment that now God's people have been empowered to carry out as a result of Jesus's finished work on the cross. Jesus says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Even in Mark 12, when asked by one of the scribes which commandment is the greatest, Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. These passages echo what God's law has commanded his children, even in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. If you look at Leviticus 19.18, it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. John then draws a direct parallel between a child of God's love for God and their obedience to God. Again, we see a direct parallel between a child of God's love for God and their obedience to God. I'm going to reread for you 2 John 1, that verse 6. It says, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. It's therefore absolutely impossible to attempt, if you're either discipling someone or being discipled by someone, to understand what it means to love God if you're not obeying God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Everyone who is abiding in Christ will practice obeying Christ's commands, but those who aren't will practice disobedience to his commands. So we see this correlation between truth, mentioned five times in this entire letter, and following God's commands. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 15. I'm going to pick up in verse 8. It says, By this... My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full." So why is John spending so much time talking about how one's love for God propels their obedience to God? Well, it's because of verses 7 through 11, which I'm going to reread for you. 
It says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. In my first year of veterinary school, our instructors spent the entire year teaching us what normal looked like. Normal cells, normal anatomy, normal physiology. Why? Because the second year, we would be spending our entire year learning what abnormal looked like. So we needed a firm foundation in what a normal, healthy animal looked like so that when we came across something that didn't line up with that, we would be equipped then to identify as abnormal or unhealthy for that animal. The same holds true for the body of Christ. Specifically as relates to these deceivers, these enemies of the gospel message, a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus Christ can be identified based on whether or not they are abiding in the teaching of Christ. A true disciple will be recognized by their love for God and others and also in the way they walk out their obedience to God's commandments as opposed to these false teachers that John is referring to in their day, who would basically travel around teaching and preaching against true Christian doctrine, denying Jesus as God the Son who put on flesh. So John, having just written about his great joy from witnessing believers walking in the truth, his great joy in seeing the good fruit coming from healthy discipleship, he now warns this body of Christ followers to guard themselves by watching out for deceivers, antichrists. I want us to take a closer look at, at verse 8. At first glance, you may be tempted to think that John is suggesting that a true follower of Jesus Christ can lose their salvation, but that's not what John is saying at all. He's not saying that true believers will lose their salvation, but rather true believers who are immature as a result of not growing spiritually, in other words, a lack of or unhealthy discipleship, will experience loss, not of their salvation, if that foundation has indeed been built upon the rock, which is Jesus Christ, but loss of the other parts that make up their spiritual structure. I'm going to read for you 1 Corinthians. You can turn with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. This will help to shed a little bit more light, I hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. If you are discipling someone or being discipled and the building material that you're using, that you're using to build upon that person's faith, if it's made primarily of hay or straw, guess what? When that person's spiritual life is tested by fiery trial or tribulation, that hay and that straw will burn up. Hence the lack of winning a full reward that John was speaking about earlier. If when discipling someone, you're constructing with gold, silver, precious gems, for example, the time you spend investing in and learning to study and memorize the word of God together, the time spent in confessing your sins to one another, the time spent in prayer and fasting, repentance, offering up praise and thanksgiving, that worshipful fellowship when fire tested that growth and maturity in Jesus Christ will stand and you will win a full reward and experience fullness of joy as you experience the hope that is found in the presence of Jesus Christ alone. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Another way to think about it, using the analogy of diet and exercise. Let's say that you're looking for fast results when it comes to getting fit, losing weight, rather than investing maybe in more long-term goals. So a short time into your new diet, you start to see what you perceive dieting success. You're liking what you're seeing in the mirror. Certain areas are starting to maybe look a little bit flatter, a little bit firmer. Many of us maybe made some New Year's resolutions for 2019 to get fit. Well, maybe what you start noticing after time goes by and choosing that fast and easy dieting approach rather than investing in a more slow and steady approach is you might start falling off the wagon a little bit. You may stop exercising. The fridge and the pantry may start getting stocked with fewer fruits and veggies and healthy snacks and maybe more and more comfort foods. Before you know it, the healthier body that you'd hoped for has all but disappeared, waiting to be resurrected maybe 2020. But don't lose heart because the basic framework that makes up your body is still there. Your skeleton is still there your muscles, all your organs, they're still there. You didn't lose your body, but what you'd worked for to make that basic framework healthier has been lost. And as a result, you're not reaping the full reward and benefit that comes from having a healthy eating and exercise plan. So with that, what does discipleship look like in your own life? How's your spiritual building looking? How's your foundation being built upon, and how are you building upon others? In light of all this, there's one question that we must be able to answer for ourselves. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Have you been saved? Jesus says in John 10, 27 through 30, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hands. I and the father are one. So just like a house built of hay and straw will burn up when fire tested, so will a foundation if it's made of anything other than Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone upon which our faith is built. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24 through 25, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Women of God, some of you, some of you right now, you're going through fiery trials fiery tribulations, even now. And the enemy, he wants you to think that you're not going to make it. He wants you to believe that the flames of heartache and disappointment and grief will utterly consume you. But I'm here to tell you today, the devil is a liar. He's a deceiver. He's the father of lies. You are not forgotten. You're not alone. So let your dry and weary souls be encouraged and refreshed today with God's message of truth spoken by the prophet Isaiah to God's people in Isaiah 43. He says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. To the unbelievers sitting out there right now, don't leave this place without the assurance of your foundation. The Holy Spirit may be speaking to your heart even now. Don't deny and don't delay. As it said in Hebrews 3.15, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So the Apostle John warns the elect lady who's been faithfully discipling others to not welcome anyone who tries to deliver any other teaching than the one founded on and rooted in the truth of the gospel and any teaching not operating in or promoting obedience to the scriptures according to the teaching of Christ. These antichrists, deceivers, were denying the true identity of Jesus as being the son of God and trying to impose and teach their false doctrine. John is warning that the gift of hospitality without wisdom and discernment could actually be preyed upon within the congregation and actually help the cause of these antichrists, something that true believers certainly wouldn't want to do lest they actually undercut the very gospel and Christ-centered teaching that they'd worked so hard to proclaim. So John is using this letter to not only express his love, not only express his joy, but also to warn the disciples, followers of Jesus, against welcoming such people into the fold of God. It would be like setting loose a ravenous wolf among the sheep. Their works were wicked, and the full effects of that wickedness may not be fully realized until much damage had been done. 
So this text makes the seriousness, really, of passages like Titus 1 all the more meaningful as relates to God's people being on guard and watchful against false teachers. Paul writes in Titus 1, he is directing um, and basically has left Titus with the task of selecting elders, elders who meet certain qualifications in the towns of Crete. And Titus 1 I'm going to pick up in in verse 9. He says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Healthy discipleship must be rooted, rooted in healthy biblical teaching and healthy biblical practices. Finally, John closes his letter expressing his desire to see these fellow disciples face to face, thereby bringing about a mutual joy between them. Also, in his final greetings, he adds that this elect lady's elect sister, along with her children, greet her. So again, regardless of which camp you fall into as far as who this elect lady is and her children, it's very clear that John is talking to followers of Jesus, to disciples. This final verse reminds us that there is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. And for that matter, there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger church. We're all connected Last year in July, by God's grace and divine providence, Cross Point planted Midtree Church under the pastoral leadership of Will Hawk. And we bid farewell to many folks that we had grown accustomed to worshiping and fellowshipping with here. Though we're not all under the same roof anymore, we're all still very much connected. And not only Cross Point and Midtree, but all God's people who gather together, the church universal. As it says in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. As fellow disciples unified as one, Our ultimate mission is to make the name of Jesus Christ known to the ends of the earth. The Apostle John's letter shows us a simple picture, a simple picture of disciples turned disciple makers. So what is gained then by discipleship? What reward is reaped? According to verse 4, disciples who are walking in the truth. There is no greater or glorious reward than to share the gift of salvation and discipleship. I exhort you, therefore, women of God, just as John does in verses 5 through 6, love one another. Walk according to his commandments. Paul, the author of Titus, he lists some specific ways that the church can do just that. Love one another and walk according to God's commands. If you look in Titus chapter 2, He gives examples of what a healthy church governed by healthy doctrine should look like. 
He says, starting in verse 1, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So we know everything that applies to older men in verse 2 also applies to older women. How do I know that? Because of the third verse, the third word says, likewise. In other words, in the same way, older women. I'll often hear about women's Titus 2 studies happening where women will come together to learn, to exhort, and essentially to disciple one another in godliness in these aforementioned areas. And I believe that to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. But let me just say, as wonderful as that is, remember, in order to go beyond just learning and knowing There must be an abiding relationship in Jesus Christ. Trying to love, trying to obey these commands in our own power, in our own strength, will ultimately always, always fail. Jesus alone is the foundation upon which healthy discipleship can be built. Paul is instructing Titus about what the lives of men and women who are walking with the Lord should look like. And his message is presuming there's already a fireproof foundational relationship established in Jesus Christ. Discipleship that is faithfully pursuing godliness by God's grace will result in some walking in truth. By God's grace and according to the power of his Holy Spirit, healthy discipleship can lead to sober-mindedness self-control, soundness and faith, love and steadfastness. Healthy discipleship can lead to reverence. It can stop words of strife and gossip dead in their tracks. Healthy discipleship can lead to sobriety, love and submission towards one's husband, love for one's children, purity, a desire to care for your home, and kindness. Healthy discipleship can lead to these examples of godliness and obedience to God's commands. Discipleship, however, is a process. It doesn't happen instantly. We live in an instant society, don't we? I mean, you just go to the grocery store, look on any shelf, what do you see? Instant coffee, Instant oatmeal, instant popcorn, instant noodles, instant potatoes, instant rice, instant tea, instant pudding, instant microwavable meals. And some of you may be saying, Edith, please, there is no way I would put anything with the word instant into my body. I mean, I just had juice bar. I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? I only prepare the most healthy, fortified, vitamin-rich meals for me and my family in my instant pot.
I almost bought one for Christmas, I'll be honest. I was like, that's amazing. So whether this is you or not, I believe we can all agree that the world we live in markets things that you can get instantly as better, more rewarding. Why? Because you didn't have to wait too long to get it. Microwaves, computers, apps, other technology. We live in a world that caters to our desires of getting the things we want sooner versus later. Why? So we can move on to the next thing. I mean, we're busy, aren't we? We're busy being moms, busy being wives, busy being students, busy being an employee, busy being a daughter, busy being a grandmother, busy being a friend, busy being a foster parent, busy being a servant, busy volunteering. We're just busy. And if we're not careful, we can let our busyness and the demands of life cause us to view our relationships in the same way. Building relationships with others, and especially building upon our relationship with Jesus Christ, doesn't happen instantly. Remember, ladies, we can't teach what we don't know. Older women, you're called to teach what is good and so train younger women. Know God's word for yourself. Obey God's word yourself. None of us are perfect. Lord knows I'm not but we need to always be striving towards the higher calling of God in our lives. Always growing, repenting when we sin, no longer enslaved, but pressing on in the faith and exhorting others to deny themselves daily, take up their cross daily, and follow Jesus daily. We're no longer the condemned. We have been set free, and loving others and obeying Christ shows that we are walking in that freedom. So ask yourself, are you investing the time it takes to feed your hungry, hungry soul with the word of God? You may absolutely refuse to put anything with the word instant in your body. But are you just as selective when it comes to what you feed your soul? Your body may be in tip-top shape. How's your soul? How's your prayer life? How's it going in the fight against that sin? How's it going in the areas of love and forgiveness? If we're not prioritizing daily feasting on the word of God, daily communicating with our heavenly father in prayer, then we're not going to have the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that we need. Many of us probably feasted over the holidays. Am I right? I know I did. I dare to say to the brink of overflowing. Do we feast on the word of God like that? Filling our souls up to the brink of overflowing. Unlike our physical bodies, when our souls overflow with spiritual feasting, other people will actually reap the benefits. So not only will our relationship with our Heavenly Father suffer from not feasting daily on his word and communicating with him in prayer, but our relationships with other people will suffer as well. Loving people well isn't something you can do in an instant. Oftentimes, it's those most loving and deep abiding relationships where you've invested time, spending time with that person. Let's not romanticize this, though. Discipleship and dealing with people, it can sometimes be hard, messy complicated, in the short, seemingly unrewarding, 
or unfulfilling. And all these things all the more complicated by our own sinful natures. But let me share truth with you. God is faithful. And his loving kindness is unfailing. He has set us up for success, to prosper, not because we're so awesome, but because he is so awesome. And he wants to get all the glory out of our humbled obedience because he alone is worthy. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you may be assuming that part of being a qualified discipling older woman is that you have to be married or have been married or have to have or have had children. Well, that's not what my Bible says. When you reread verses 2 and 3, that's not listed amongst the qualifications. The power of the gospel to save and to sanctify is not handicapped by your station in life. The qualifications for an older woman to disciple a younger woman are not based upon her marital status, whether or not she has birthed or raised children, her socioeconomic status, her race, her demographic. No, it's based on the truth of who her identity is in Jesus Christ and whether or not she is exercising that faith in obedience. And let me just say, even though Paul is exhorting the older to teach the younger, that's not to say that a spiritually mature younger woman can't humbly encourage and spur on an older woman. At the end of the day, seeking out an older godly woman who shares similarities with you, there's nothing wrong with that. But it should absolutely not be a deal breaker when it comes to discipleship. But a woman who is in no way, shape, form, or fashion pursuing verses 2 and 3, that should be a deal breaker. What's cool about this, ladies, is every single one of us in here have someone that we're older than and someone that we are younger than. It doesn't have to be an either-or thing. Either I am in a season of discipling or a season of being discipled. Now, there may be circumstances that you're presently facing where it would not be healthy for you to be discipling someone else. But be prayerful. Pray that God would help you by his Holy Spirit to love others well, just like this elect lady in 2 John, that you too may live a life of faith that others may emulate, a life that when it's all said and done was spent birthing believers and discipling them to walk in truth according to God's word. And at the end of the day, what is our chief aim, according to Paul? Titus 2.5, that the word of God may not be reviled. Titus 2.10, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Listen to what Paul says in these last verses, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. So again, what's our chief aim Why have we been saved? Why should we grow in godliness and zealously do good works and encourage others to do the same? That the word of God may be adorned and not reviled. We are representatives of God's kingdom. 
part of a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen people meant to display the holiness of our heavenly father, not for our own glory, but for his. Jesus Christ will return one day for his bride. And what has God promised to his beloved? Going back to verse 3 in 2 John, he's promised grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Some of you right now know that the Holy Spirit is convicting you and saying it's time. It's time to be a source of his grace to a younger woman and to sacrificially pour into her by way of discipleship for a heavenly reward that will be mutually beneficial. If that's you this morning, would you be so humble as to raise your hand with me and say, that's me? Praise God. Some of you right now know that the Holy Spirit is convicting you and saying, it's time. It's time to be a recipient of healthy discipleship. And that may require more humility than you have ever had to exercise in your entire life. In order to be taught, you have to be teachable. In order to be poured into, you have to be open. If you would say, that's me, I know the Holy Spirit is convicting me that I need to be discipled. Would you humbly raise your hand with me this morning? Remember what I said, it doesn't have to necessarily be an either or thing. The Holy Spirit may be convicting you to both disciple and to be discipled. Above all, pray. Pray that the Lord would show you what that's supposed to look like in your life. It's not going to look the same across the board, but at the end of the day, the end result should look the same, and that's greater godliness and holiness. I showed you my two girls earlier, Joy and Jada. Joy is eight and Jada is six. Discipleship happens on a daily basis in our home. The Lord has blessed me with these little learners, whether I want them to learn everything I teach them in a day or not. I mean, our children, they see all of us. They see the good. They see the bad. They see the downright ugly. <laughs> if nothing else, my kids learn repentance from mommy, as I am often having to repent to Jesus before them. But God has given us little disciples, moms, little learners that we need to be faithfully pouring into at home. Besides my children, however, the Lord has recently blessed me with the opportunity to come alongside and disciple and mentor a younger woman of the faith. We began meeting every other week, initially just taking the time to talk to each other, get to know each other. Next, we answered and talked through the Clean Hands, Pure Heart inventory exercise from the booklet For the Family by Sylvia Gunter. This exercise took us beyond the surface and superficial pleasantries and helped to usher us into a time where we could be vulnerable and share truth and love with each other. We're presently walking through the book I referenced earlier, The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert E. Coleman, and I chose this book for two main reasons. One, because I was familiar with it, having walked through it with our small group in Birmingham. 
But also, at the end of the day, I wanted anything I said, any wisdom, any truth, any exhortation, rebuke shared about being a wife, a daughter, a student, a friend, a minority, an employee, a mom. I wanted it always to point to our chief aim as followers of Jesus Christ, and that is to live as his disciples, lifelong learners being transformed daily by the gospel, and in the process obeying Jesus's commands in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations, a reminder that disciples are meant to become disciple makers. This young lady has become a dear friend, someone I communicate with and pray for regularly, And for all intents and purposes, she was already a godly woman. She read her Bible, she prayed, she had biblical community corporately and with her her small group. But she, in a very mature way, recognized the need that we all have as Christians for growth and development of our faith. If you are a disciple of Jesus, there will always be something you can learn. And always something you can teach others, whether you're nine years old or 99 years old. In order to bear fruit and not wilt, you must be grafted to the true vine. Jesus Christ is the true vine. And we've already learned that apart from him, we can do nothing. Some of you right now aren't sure if you're grafted to Jesus. You're not sure if he's your foundation. Some of you know he's not. If that's you, please don't leave here without talking to someone about that. It may be the person that invited you who you know is a Christ follower. But the Bible says this in Romans 10, 9 through 11, because if you confess your mouth with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. If you've never done that, and the Lord has given you eyes to see and ears to hear today and a desire to do that, even now, do that. He loves you, and he wants you to abide in him and him in you. Again, as I close, what is discipleship? Discipleship is teaching biblical precepts while modeling and guiding others toward living righteously as followers of Jesus. Let me leave you with this final blessing that comes from Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. I'm excited about this next part just as much as I've been excited about uh, the first half. And Edith, that message was so good and so um, encouraging and convicting on so many levels. So um, thank you. I I felt very inspired by it and encouraged and challenged. And I hope that's the way all of us have received that message. I think sometimes when we think about Uh, discipleship, we often hope that someone will um, match us together, okay? And as far as Crosspoint regarding that, our elders and pastors would prefer that we not 
match you. And the key word is organic. Let it happen organically. But at the end of today, those of you that raised your hand earlier and said that you feel that God is calling you into a season of discipling others, come and see me because I would like to get your information. Um, we, we would like to have a list available to help those members of Crosspoint who are looking for someone but just may not have the the, the know-how, they may be new to Columbus, they may um, be shy, introverted, and they just need a little bit of help in finding someone. So if you feel that call on your heart, then see me afterwards and I'd like to get your information. Now this next part that we're moving into, <laughs> it looks like the Last Supper. Um, <laughs> and I am not Jesus. Um, and we don't have the right number anyway, so it's not the Last Supper, <laughs> nor are we trying to recreate a still art <laughs> presentation of it. So just get that out of your heads, all right? Just move on. Um, but <laughs> we hopefully have a good variety of seasons and stages in, um, in our lives, in, in these lives of these women who have um, answered my question, will you come and be part of a group panel? Because alone, these women could speak to you and do wonderfully one-on-one. -on -one. They're not comfortable with group, like sharing. So I put them all up here as a group to be together, to walk one another through this, and they're gonna survive, I just know it. But it's not about them individually, it's about what God has laid on their hearts, about what discipling looks like for them in their current season of life. And hopefully, maybe even they'll be able to share some of what's happened in their past seasons and how that looks differently now, both as one being discipled and one discipling others. So what I'd like for them to do is to introduce themselves, tell us a little bit about their current season of life so that you'll have an opportunity to understand the context in which they're coming, uh, you know, to speak to us on, all right? And they're gonna go in alphabetical order by first name, right? Okay, so Brooke, you are front and center, sister. Okay, good morning, ladies. Um, my name is Brooke Thomason, and I relocated from Greenville, South Carolina uh, to Columbus in 2012, and since then, um, I've been at Crosspoint, and I am uh, not married, and I don't have biological children. I do have 10 little kids that I get to disciple every day or pour into every day um, at True Spring Academy, where I'm a first grade teacher, and I love them. I, I see a lot of their sin. They see a lot of my sin. It's great. It's awesome. And so, um, but that's uh, where I am right now. Alphabetically. Or we can just go, we'll just go down the road. Just go down the road. Okay, um, I'm Sigourney. Um, I'm married to Robert, who is Amy's son. Um, he is one of the pastors here at Cross Point. Um, we have two kids. Uh, Quentin is five, and Sarah Joy is two. Um, and we talk about season of life that we're in. Um, I am a stay-at-home mom. Um, I homeschool Quentin, and Sarah Joy um, has special needs. Um, and so we do a lot of therapy throughout the week. Um, we uh, go to, sorry, y'all don't like talking in front of people. So. Um, okay, just putting alert there. Um, we uh, go to therapy probably like three or four times a week. Um, she has probably like 
10 specialists in Atlanta um, that we go to um, just throughout the year, probably two or three times a year for each specialist. Um, so we stay pretty busy with that. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing, Sigourney. <laughs> my name is Sarita Davis. I have been a believer for eight years now. I didn't start my, the first time I started getting discipled was a little over two years ago. And so it's never too late to, you know, start having someone pour into you. So praise God for that. Um, I am a mom. I've been married for seven, almost eight years now. I have three children, ages six, four, and one. And they keep me busy. First year homeschooling. So that's definitely been sanctifying, but that's the season of life that I've been. Hmm. Well, I am in the sage season. <laughs> um, I'm Karen Rosa, and I'm married to Bob, and we've been married 45 years. So we have two grown children, uh, married with four grandchildren, and those four grandchildren live across the street from me. So I am so thankful, so thankful. Um, my name is Wan Bracado, and I've been coming to Cross Point since 2010. Um, I'm married with three grown children that are um, also married, and we have five grandchildren. And kind of like Karen, they live right, almost right next door within walking distance, um, and it is a blessing. And I feel like that's kind of the season I am in. I did not, uh, I wasn't a believer when Byron and I got married, but um, for the last seven years, um, it's been a, just a great journey. But anyway, um, my grandchildren, I'm hoping to make up for what I did not do with my children, with my grandchildren. So. I'm Lyle, and I, I'm in Karen's season. I'm in the sage um, season of life. I have three, I'm married to John. I have three children, ages, let me see if I remember. This is terrible. 24, 26, 24, and 22. And they're all grown and, and gone, except one just came home. So a lot of y'all probably know Ann Lyle. She's home for a little season. But anyway, um, we've been at Cross Point several years, and I'm a lady who's never been discipled. So remember that as I speak. So, um, My name is Melissa Harrison, and I um, am an empty, well, I was an empty nester for a while, and now I have, oh, okay, I'm married to Bill. Sorry, I didn't make notes. I, sh I thought I would know this stuff, you know, but I, I should have made notes. Um, <laughs> Um, I'm married to Bill. We've been going here since, I guess, 2008, so um, for a while. And um, we have two daughters, 26 and 23. And um, Delaney lives in Atlanta. She's 23. Mackenzie's actually living with us with her two children right now because her husband's in the Army, and he's been training and um, away. And so that's been so much fun. I feel kind of like a – I'm not really a new mom because I'm not totally responsible for him. But, I, I, you know, I can – it's helping me to remember what stage a lot of you are in and what it's like to be a new mom again. And it's so much fun. It's really fun when I'm not the one getting up with them at night. And um, so we're loving that, having them at home with us now for a little while, just taking, just enjoying it while it lasts. Melissa, you can pass that mic back down to this end, and we'll just share the three uh, that are on the tables among us. Um, I'm Amy Ward, and although I'm not on the panel, I'm the moderator, I, um, let's see, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm in the sage season. I'm in the what? <laughs> season and um, you know uh, you kid yourselves if you think that when you when you grow 
in years that you can slow down. That is not the truth. That is a lie. And um, I'm, I stay busy um, helping the children with their children and decided last year to start working part-time from home. So there was that. And um, anyway, so that's a little bit about me. Now, let's move into the questions. And if we get through these questions, and you might still have some questions from the floor and there is time, we will um, offer that opportunity as well for you. So if we don't cover a question that you're interested in, feel free to jot it down. And if we have time, we'll come back to you, okay? All right. Now, ladies, as I ask these questions, feel free not only to just have one person speak, but if you want to piggyback off of what your sister is saying, feel free to do so. If you have a different opinion, from what your sister is saying, please share that as well. Um, these women need to see how to have healthy discussions. So, all right. Next, moving right along. What is the difference between mentoring and discipling? Karen, would you like to start? I'd love to. <laughs> Pick up your microphone. <laughs> it's on. It's on. Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to share uh, my experiences in discipling and mentoring, and um, I... Uh, Hold it in front. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. That really works. Uh, it's just so different being in the limelight. <laughs> wow. Um, so I wanted to share a little bit of the difference between mentoring and discipling as I see it. Uh, discipling, as Edith so eloquently said, is a follower, uh, a learner of Jesus Christ and living to obey Jesus and, and being that example before others. Uh, and when I disciple women, we use the word of God. Uh, discipling to me is laying that foundation of truth, uh, learning who Jesus is, learning who I am in Christ Jesus. Uh, the basic doctrines of the faith, uh, the resurrection, the crucifixion, you know, all the foundational truth that that person, that young woman will be able to build on. Uh, and it's using the word of God. Uh, mentoring to me is after I've discipled young women, uh, I take time once a month to check with them. How are you doing? How are you doing in your quiet time? How are you doing reading your Bible? Um, how are you living? Are you obeying the truth that uh, you're learning? Are you in a Bible study? Are you studying God's word? So it's coming alongside, being a friend, mentoring, being a friend, sharing my life experience with her, uh, things I learned the hard way, which is most everything, mm -hmm. uh, learning things that don't work, that do work. So there's a big difference between mentoring and discipling to me. But uh, often mentoring follows discipling. But then mentoring can just be being a friend, coming alongside, how are you doing? So um, both are wonderful and so needed. And as Edith was saying, an older woman, we're all an older woman to someone younger. And we all know a little bit more than maybe she does. So God has called us to disciple, to mentor other women, and just to share our life experience with them. So that's the difference I see. Anyone else on the panel have anything to add? Or do you echo, or do you see it differently? What, what would you have to say? I agree. I agree with you. 
I mean, I thought that was, it was very thorough and complete. All right. Okay. Uh, Lyle, pick up your microphone, Lyle. Oh, here go. Oh, goodness. I, had, I, I do agree with Karen. And I looked up, I'm a, anybody that knows me knows I love the dictionary. I don't know why, because I didn't love it in school. But anyway, so I, look, I looked up the word disciple, and I looked it up in Webster's 1828 dictionary because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And so throughout his dictionary, he references the word and he just has an incredible grasp of the English language. So I looked up the word disciple and he said, a learner who receives or professes to receive instruction from another. So we're all disciples. We're disciples of someone or something. And so with discipleship, which I'm not good at being a discipler, but I don't want them to follow me. I want them to follow Jesus Christ. And so that's at the forefront of anything I, I attempt to do with anybody that's in my life. And, and with the mentoring, I, I kind of see it, I see it both ways. I see it as interspersed. It's hard to separate the two. And one thing that was real interesting to me is I tried to look up the word mentor in the same dictionary. Y'all, it was not there. I, I thought, okay, I've just misspelled it. I'm going to try again. It was not there. And so it's a relatively new term in, in because that was, you know, the early first hundred years of our country. But anyway, um, he also went on to say, and I love this, he said, an adherent to the doctrines of another, hence the constant attendants of Christ were called his disciples as they learned to profess and learn and receive his doctrine and precepts. And I thought, that is beautiful. It's beautiful. And that's because he left the Lord. So with mentoring or discipleship, whichever way you you term it or want to call it, they, and I'm sure Karen would agree, they flow together. And if you're really a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's going to be one and the same in a sense, but more intentional with discipleship to follow the word. Good, good. All right, our next question. Sorry. Um, how were you discipled? And I'll, I'll lead off on this one. I became a believer when I was 14 um, at a youth retreat and uh, really, hung, really wanted to know how to study the Word but never found that until after I was married. Um, I, I grew up in a denomination that was not Reformed, was Methodist, and um, so our sermons were typically one verse, three points, and what was the latest, you know, application the pastor had. And so I just never saw or heard the word taught from the pulpit thoroughly, okay? But I hungered to know that, and it was not until after I had Robert that I began to uh, get involved in a Bible study where we did learn to study the Bible inductively and uh, made some friends in other women that way. And then um, as I began to do a little part-time work from home, I, I taught sewing lessons to little girls, and kind of like piano lessons. And um, this woman signed her uh, eighth grade daughter up for lessons, sewing lessons. And I met Karen Rosa that way. And uh, so Karen has known me uh, 30 years and has discipled and I still me. Love her. <laughs> she she knows my good things and my bad things and um and and we have good discussions and sometimes we don't always agree and uh when there is a disagreement we 
continue to love each other through that and make amends if necessary. I, I can remember, um, you know, one Sunday morning before communion, I received a call from Karen, and so sweet. And um, she felt the conviction of the Lord that she ha might have said something to offend me. And um, it was so precious of her, and she wanted to be right before the Lord before she went before him in communion and, um, you know, and to apologize. And I didn't even think anything about it. But I did learn from Karen the, the necessary um, need for repentance in relationships. And so not only has she taught me that, she's taught me so many other things and loved me and cared for me. So Karen continues to be someone who disciples me. So that's my story. Hey, so I would say for me, I was really, really blessed to grow up in a family um, with parents who are believers. And so really most of my discipleship when I was younger come, uh, came from my mom and my dad. And it's still, I would say, a lot of it comes from my mom and my dad. Um, but I also had a Bible study uh, leader in high school, and it was really neat. We got to stay like the, my Bible study stayed together all four years of high school. And so um that she also really poured into me. I have had great young life leaders, like just a lot of different people who have gotten to come kind of alongside me and encourage me and teach me the truths of the word. Um, I've never had any formal um, discipleship. Um, I got saved when I was 10, um, and then somebody gave me a book, like how to be a Christian or something, and so I just kind of went through it, and I was like, okay, I guess that's kind of, you know, what I do. Um, and it really wasn't until I got to youth at our old church that um, some youth leaders kind of poured into me, went to um, Bible studies. Um, and But I, there was really, I mean, there's never been anything formal. It's always just been maybe like, you know, taking me under their wing a little bit, you know, um, maybe like just like talk to me in the Bible study, you know, but there's really never been anything super formal. But... Yeah. Sarita, you want to pick up that middle mic and you and Karen oh. share it. Um, for me, I was discipled, well, it started with the word, of course. Um, when I first started meeting with my mentor or discipler, she wanted to know where I was in my walk of faith before she would start discipling me. So we went um, through Henry Blackaby, like he has... Uh, knowing God, knowing God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or experiencing God. Um, no, it's about the cross. Experiencing the cross. Okay. Yeah, you guys probably went through that too. But um, she, that was the first book that she gave me. She told me, go home, study the first chapter, and when you come back, be ready to teach me. And I remember thinking, I'm here for, you know, like I thought you were going to pour into me. But that was her way of, you know, like, of, like just observing to see like where I was, what my, what my gifts were. But she challenged me in that way. And it was like, she would, she would you know, mom and aunt, like she, sometimes she would, she would play like she didn't know the answer. Like, what do you think about that? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, show me in the word. Like, so she would do that. And I remember thinking, like, I need to come prepared. Like, this woman doesn't play. And so, so, so it started with the word, and it always ended in the word, started with the word. And at the end of our meeting, she would require me to pray back what I learned. So that kind of, uh, you know, it really enriched my prayer life, really, because I started to learn the scriptures and to pray the scriptures. And so that's, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting I thought um, a thought about being discipled I have never been discipled by a person but it was the word of God by the spirit of God 
I was saved at 29, and I got immediately into good new, the Good News New Testament <laughs> because I did not know where anything was in the Bible, and I had been raised in the church. That's sad, isn't it? But I got in this little Good News Bible study and turned to page four to get the answer, and I stayed in simple Bible studies for the first four years, the milk of the word. Well, then someone told me about precept upon precept Bible studies, and we got back to North Carolina. My husband was retired within the military, and they had precept Bible studies. Well, I got immediately into precept Bible studies and stayed in precept Bible studies, which you learn how to study the Bible line upon line, books of the Bible. I learned so much so much. So through the years, and then God called me to teach the Word, and it's been the Word of God by the Spirit of God that discipled me. Well, isn't that cool? Yeah. That's the, that's, but it was fun to think about that because I know person, it, but it was just the Word of God. So be encouraged. Stay in the Word of God. Um, well, Karen was my first discipler and my mentor. Um, she invited me to my first Bible study, which I didn't have any idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> um, I was a very, very new believer um, seven years ago, I guess. Um, anyway, and so that, she was very intentional um, and very thorough. Obviously, we did it just the way she described it. Um, and so it was really life-changing. Well, I told you before I wasn't, I was never discipled, and I meant, as Karen said, by a person. But, and that, these are my two favorite words in the Bible this year, but God. Mm -hmm. But God never let go of me. He discipled me through the main, the most, um, the one I remember most is Bible Study Fellowship when I lived in Atlanta. And it's a very intense study of the Word. And God just worked on my heart during that time, and just reveal so much of himself and so much of who I was in him. And um, I don't know why I didn't have the other. I'm sure there were available willing women. Maybe I wasn't humble and um, willing to ask. I don't know. But, but God didn't let go of me. Um, well, I, 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 was, I became a, a Christian when I was very, very young. I think I six and my mother had just become a believer she was newly saved and excited on fire and learning all she could learn so I really I'm with Brooke I think you know if I had to say I mean it wasn't formal but you know as she learned she just shared everything I can remember we have post I still have posters my mom made you know of um, when she was you know studying the word she would her king-size bed was full of books and, and notes and papers and so she, you know I grew up watching her avidly study the word because there was really nobody there to teach her or to disciple her even in the church and where I grew up and so she um, you know I grew up learning with her and her sharing what she was learning and so and then I went to a Christian high school and so I was never formally discipled I didn't even know what you know I didn't even know to ask somebody to do that for me and then I went to a Bible college and I there were teachers there who fed into me who really you know who modeled out this for me um, and, and then I guess 
I look at my life now and I feel like my friends now, I have so many wonderful friends, I mean, many of them sitting up here who point me to Christ every day. And like our, our community group, we started um, memorizing scripture together and they've kept me accountable even when I have had some lapses in time. But you know, it's good to have that accountability. When and I have memorized scripture together and, um, and she keeps me accountable because otherwise I wouldn't be doing it. So I feel like that is a continuation of my discipleship. You know, my, my friends point me to Christ and they encourage me in the word. And there's not a one-on-one -on -one thing, but it's kind of a, you know, just an accountability with my friends who love the Lord. So I encourage you to, to make friends with people who love the Lord and who will point you to Jesus and point you to the word. So um, that's great. Thank you. I think we see at the root of this, and it's as, as Edith said earlier, the word has got to be front and center. And a relationship with Christ, obviously, and then spending time in his word, because how else will we know about him without reading of him and studying about him? And then having that connection, that encouragement, whether it's friends or that older woman. Um, and sometimes our friends are the older woman, even if they're the same age, even if we're the same age, they may be more spiritually ahead of us, and so there's that discipling aspect as well. All right, our next question. Um, when did you move forward into discipling others, and what prompted you? And you can answer as you feel led. Um, I would say probably my senior year of college, um, I was a chaplain in my dorm. Um, I went to a Christian school right outside of Greenville, and so um, I kind of took on a little bit of that discipling or uh, mentoring role. Oh, uh, well, discipling. I guess I'm more discipling um, than mentoring, but discipling um, on my dorm uh, with some of the girls. And then also um, I was a young life leader, and so just pouring, I was actually pouring into middle school girls um, through wildlife. And then now, I mean, and now I work with Crosspoint Youth, um, and I really get to pour into the ninth grade girls, and I love them a lot. I think what's so interesting is I actually started discipling before I got discipled, like, mm -hmm. without even realizing it until, like, just now when you asked that question, I was like, wow. But that's only by the grace of God. Like, when I got, when I was, you know, when God pulled me out of darkness into his light, like, it just, the word of God just came alive to me, and so I couldn't help but share that with, it started with my siblings but then of course like on to like church members or the, even people that didn't know didn't know christ but i'm just like amazed you know like it goes back to what you were saying like the like you know you didn't have anyone disciple you but the holy spirit taught you and you know he doesn't get a lot of like as much credit as he what gets he the deserves. honorable mention yeah yeah and he's yeah. he's the best teacher that yeah. we could have and yeah. so I, I think because i'm not that smart you know like i really am not like according to worldly standards i'm not that brilliant but to think that the Holy Spirit could work through me. It just, it goes back to what Edith was saying, a teachable spirit. Like he is, he wants to teach us. He wants, he wants to just pour out his word into our hearts so that we could pour it out into others. So I think that's just so encouraging. Thank you. When I started sharing the gospel with some women and they had no background in the church and the word of God, I saw a need to disciple them. And I asked some friends what was the tool that they had used uh, in discipling. And they introduced me to this great series. It's from the Navigator Ministry. It's called Design for Discipleship. 
So I started using that material, six, seven books, and I took them through the Word of God, basically foundational truth that the navigators use. It's similar to Campus Crusade for Christ crew, what they use, just laying that foundation of biblical truth and principles, and um, it's a great tool. Karen, how many women do you think that you have gone through that series with? Um, I think about 10 okay. so far. And about how long does it take you to? Well, it's a commitment. It's a two-year commitment. But we meet once a week, and uh, we usually try to cover one lesson a week. There's six books, six weeks long each. Um, it allows time to get to know each other, to do life together. But it's a great tool to mm -hmm. use to keep you on track. Okay. We're going to come back to uh, more uh, resource uh, ideas in a, in a minute, but do uh, any of the rest of you have a response to, to the question about when did you move forward to disciple? Well, I'm kind of in that, I think Edith was talking about, kind of that in-between stage where I feel like I've been discipled so well, but I haven't done enough discipling to even say that I'm a discipler. But I disagree. Well, anyway, but um, but I do feel like it's so important. So and we're called to do it. I mean, yeah. we're called to go and make disciples. Yeah. No. Okay. All right. Uh, next question. Um, what does discipling look like in your current season? And the reason this question is on the form is because I think sometimes we come into the understanding of discipleship with a preconceived notion that it has to be a set schedule um, or you just shouldn't do it at all. So I want us to hear, I want you to hear how it works because you've already heard some of what these ladies are experiencing in their current season and you may be feeling like there's no way I can fit one more thing in and I'm not saying you have to only if the Lord leads you to but I want you to hear how they make it work in their current seasons um, I've always viewed discipleship as more like life on life like just doing life with other Christians and so for me, it's really hard to fit another thing in um, with my crazy life, um, my crazy schedule. And so um, I do have a girl that I meet with. Um, she's a senior in college, and we've been meeting together for about two years, um, but it is not formal. <laughs> um, and I think I kind of want to piggyback on what they said earlier, too, that um, when I say that I haven't had any formal discipleship, that it has just come from the word and other ladies that like I've met with and friends and um, people that have prayed with me. Um, but um, so I meet with this girl and there have been times like where we meet very consistently. We meet every week and um, we talk or we go through a book of the Bible or we go through a book. Um, but right now <laughs> we've met once in the past probably two months um, just because she's a music major she has a really busy schedule the holidays um, well, I mean my family just got over the flu I mean just things come up I mean just life happens and it's just I mean stuff's gonna come up and I mean, we've had appointments in Atlanta we've had therapy sessions I mean we've just had stuff going on and so um, 
but we are, when we are together, we are intentional um, about talking about sin, talking about um, just each other's lives and um, praying together. And right now we are, we just started Hebrews. We're going through just a book of the Bible. So um, that's what, <laughs> yeah, we, we've never, I mean, we don't have like a system of like, we have to go through, you know, a book. I mean, I'm sure that's like super helpful and would be really good, but we just, I don't know, I never, I've never had that, and so I'm just going on what I know, which is reading the Bible, and yeah, so. Any of the rest of you? Well, I'm fortunate because I'm retired, and so I have a lot of time, so I'm available for discipling, and um, so that has been helpful for me, like with Karen, she and I didn't have a trouble scheduling time although yeah things come up and um, you have to be flexible but for me um, I work better if I have a schedule if I have a commitment like let's and that's not to say if something comes up you know you can't reschedule but um, time flies by so fast if I don't um, put it on my calendar then I won't do it so how far in advance do you put it on the calendar when well, like, like a month ahead or well, week, like just commit to a day. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to meet every, you know, Monday at two. Gotcha. Um, and I did that for a while and that worked great. And if something came up, we just didn't meet that week or we met another day or whatever. And but, do you go to the same place? Does she come to you? Do you meet at a certain location? Are you flexible? Um, well, we, I would just go to her house. She had kids. And mm -hmm. so it was much more convenient and we would have lunch and the kids would take a nap and um, we went through the book that Karen Rosa gave me, um, Lord, I Want to Know You, which is a great book, The Names of God. Mm -hmm. So um, so anyway, being flexible helps. I mean, I'm, I don't have children at home, so I don't have that to schedule around, but a lot of y'all do and um, a lot of people work and so it makes it harder. And, and Brooke, with you working, being a school teacher, what I heard you say is you do a lot of your discipling with the middle schoolers and the ninth graders. So, you, so you're discipling the students you teach, mm -hmm. but then you're also here with the youth group. And, and so you're, yeah. you're making it work with your work as well. Yes, and I'm really fortunate that I have a, um, you know, I get to have um, youth group on Sunday nights, and that's kind of like a scheduled commitment throughout the week, but also I have a job where I get to disciple, um, and not only do I get, so I teach them reading, writing, and math, but with it being a Christian school, like, I also get to share the gospel with them, and I, we get to, um, we go over memory verses every week, and get to share the word, and share, um, how the Lord wants us to treat each other, and all these things, um, and so it's nice that, like, that is, it feels a little more informal, but I get to kind of work that in with my job, um, and so I just want to encourage you that those of you who are moms out there, like that you, like you can really be like the person who disciples your kids. Like that, that is such a cool thing that you, that's your job that you get to do that, um, every day. And so I hope that that's encouraging. I want to say this kind of goes with uh, the next question, mm -hmm. scheduled, uh, and impromptu flexibility. Mm -hmm. But um, I have tried discipling, and I, I like, like when, to have a certain morning, a certain time every week. 
or every other week, whatever fits her schedule. But I have found if you don't have the intentional time set, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Flexibility sounds, sounds important. It is important. But we have a scheduled time. There has to be a commitment. And if you have a commitment every Monday morning, chances are you're going to try not to have your teeth cleaned that morning, let's say, or make a doctor's appointment, just like Bible study. You have to have a commitment to what you're going to do. So um, that kind of goes into the next question. Mm -hmm. But it's great. Good segue. It, it works. Mm -hmm. You need a time. You need a place. I meet one girl at Burger King every Monday afternoon at 1 o'clock. And that's the time we meet. And, you know, things happen, we change, and it's okay. But it works much better with a commitment, intentional time, place. Does she, by any chance, have children? Is that why no, you meet at Burger King? That's okay. why we meet. No. Okay. No, they don't play. Uh, she okay. has no children. Okay. So, but, it, but that could work. Mm -hmm. That could work. Um, I, you know, I think often those of you who have uh, children and want to disciple others or want to be discipled, sometimes you wonder how, how will you make that work? How will you be able to focus on that hour together with your uh, discipling friend and have children running around or taking naps or, you know, how do you make that work? So that's, that's a surprise question. It's not on the sheet. Um, it's a bonus round. So um, how do you, how can you help us to better grasp how to make that work when it's not just you alone, but you've got the littles there as well? You're asking like moms? You, y'all, whoever. Oh. Um, you can meet at Chick-fil-A and let your kids play or like, is that what you're asking? Mm -hmm. Like a practical? Okay. Yeah. Um, I try to meet, um, my friend, um, when it's nap time, but since I have two kids, typically Sarah Joy is not napping at that time. Uh, but I mean, I'm also a homeschool mom. So both of my kids are with me all the time, um, for the most part. Um, and so, I mean, I would just say meet somewhere where the kids can play on the playground or where they're napping or, you know, maybe find a babysitter, maybe have another friend that can watch your kids while you are being discipled or discipling for an hour and then you trade off and do that. Um, I think we just, I don't know, I think as ladies, like we, I think just people in general, we feel like we're so busy and we have so much going on and we just like, I think we just need to like figure out why are we so busy? What are our priorities? What are we focused on? And like, maybe carve out some time. Like, I know that we're busy. I've got a ton of stuff going on, and I know that all of you guys do too. But, like, how can you carve out that time? How can you maybe trade with a friend or maybe just not be on social media so much or not, I don't know. I don't know. Like, there's a million things that you can do. Um, and just kind of, like, what are your priorities and what can you um, to do to actually make this work? Because I think, I mean, you can make it work with kids or without or with working or whatever. Mm -hmm. So kind of That's great. Any of the rest of you want to piggyback on anything, Sarita? I just, what, everything she just said, like, I just echo that. Like, that's true. Like, you have time. Like, you, you, I mean, we can busy ourselves with things with no eternal value. But until you get your life back into perspective and, and you are abiding in Christ and remaining in him, he, he's going to reveal to you what your priorities need to be, and you need to act on that in, in, in obedience. 
And so, and um, the practical thing I was gonna say is wait for your husband to get home from work so he can watch the kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Use your mic. I, I don't know. I feel like the kids, I mean, you can teach your kids to play quietly and there's nothing wrong with them being right there while you're doing it. I mean, what better way for them to be exposed mm -hmm. to stuff? I mean, you know, they might, it might not be the most peaceful time, but I mean, they can play quietly. Most, most kids can learn that. I think so. It's a good and teaching. I, yeah, from personal experience, I have a um, young woman that I um, meet with and um, she has two sweet little ones and one usually is taking a nap and the other I know to take a pocketbook and I let her play with my purse and um and and she enjoys that and so it's it's kind of a distraction for her but she also has her own notebook and she takes notes of what we're saying now she can't write words yet once she starts we're going to be really careful with what we say but <laughs> until then we're good to go so but but try to you know, because not only are you discipling a mother, you're discipling her daughter, too. She's seeing that discipling relationship unfold, and hopefully God's using that to plant seeds in her life as well, or in, in his life if it's a little boy, okay? Yeah. Well, it's ministry that you're doing, and so, like, Quentin sees me, like, yesterday I met with a lady in the morning, and, like, we did school, and then I met with a lady, and he, so he sees me doing ministry, like, it, life is not all about him, and so when we had to talk about something, I was like, you need to go play in the playroom, and he was like, well, I don't want to go play, and I was like, well, too bad, go play in the playroom, and so he's like, okay, and Sarah Joy doesn't, like, she can't talk, and she can't walk, and so she's just, you know, scooting around on the floor playing, so she's fine, but... Yeah. I mean, they need to know that it's not all about them. That's right. 100% of the time. That's right. Yeah, I think sometimes we, we think our children can't learn how to be in the midst of us, and that's wrong. They need to know that they can, and they can be, they can participate, and they can listen, and they can be quiet, and, um, and they can be helpful, you know. So, yeah. Good. Lyle? I was just going to add. Lyle, is this on? Okay. I was just going to add. I've done it all kinds of different ways, but... My mom always said, where there's a will, there's a way. And so if you're willing, there's a way to work it out. We've, one, one thing that we've done, I don't know if the church is going to be okay with this, but we've piggybacked on the babysitting that was happening here, if that was the only way somebody could do that. And so I don't want to speak for the church, but that might still be an option unless all of you want to come, <laughs> then that might not be an option. <laughs> but anyway, um, but, and also with the little children, there, there it's, it goes amazingly well when they just putter around or play or just be at your feet. And in what, that what the Lord calls us to have them at our feet. Mm -hmm. So you don't necessarily have to look for a place to land them. And the other thing is with a schedule, to yes, have a schedule. But with you young moms especially, it has to be held loosely. And we know that. And so just being willing to reschedule mm -hmm. and just persevere. All right, uh, our next question we've kind of touched on um, a little bit as far as um, do you have materials or resources you use and recommend when you disciple? And what I'm saying is, um, and I did not make clear, always, always the Word has got to be the center. The Lord has got to be the center of that discipling relationship. 
above and beyond because you've heard some of us say we you know I was introduced to my in my discipling relationship using a certain resource material and so there are helpful resources there are some things that are more about the word of god than they are of god so i think we have to be careful what we use but i know these ladies have some um, suggestions as to what they have used karen's spoken about the navpress resource designed for discipleship and um, when I, I know has a resource that she has found recently you want to talk about that pick up your mic <laughs> um, this one it's called one-to-one um, -one discipling the christ directed life and it's very foundational um, and it's just good it's all in one book which i love i did um, not the whole series with karen but we worked through several books on that, which were really good. Um, but anyway, this is just another resource. Um, and I mean, you're welcome to look at it. It's kind of hard to describe it, but it is Christ-centered and it's very um, basic foundational, um, just the foundational stones. Um, it's Multiplication Ministries, um, put out by Mul Multiplication Ministries. And um, it's online. I mean, you can find it, but anyway, you're welcome to look at it if you want to. Um, a resource that we have currently in our resource room, it's not, it's, not, it's not a book that you would use in a discipling relationship, but if you feel God uh, encouraging you to learn more about what discipling looks like um, and what it looks like to be discipled, there's a resource called Spiritual Mothering. It's a, it's a classic by Susan Hunt. It's been revised. It's the Titus II model for women mentoring women, and it's really more women discipling women. I just want to clarify that since we talked about that a minute ago. Uh, but there are several copies in the resource room available if you're interested. Feel free to you know, pick up a copy from the resource room. Others? Comments? Okay. Um, our next question, let's see. How did you find someone to disciple you, and how do you find those whom to disciple? So you could pick either or or both questions to answer. Karen found me. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I can. Yeah, she found me too. She knew I was needy. How did How did you find her? Good question. Uh, that's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, because I was thinking about this for the talk today, and the Holy Spirit brings women into my life for me to ask if they want to be discipled. I don't know. I just have my head on a swivel. Okay. Head on. And I want to be available. I want to be used by God to make a difference in the lives of women for the kingdom of God. And I tell women when I make that commitment and they make that commitment to be discipled, you are to do this for someone else. It's multiplicity. Uh, you are to make disciples, and you, they are to make disciples. And that's how it should work. It should work. But I really don't go looking for people, women. God just brings them. And, uh, but I don't see the problem if you want to be discipled and you pray, ask God who you should ask to disciple you, to spend time with you, to mentor you. Um, that's very biblical, and uh, it's a good thing to be discipled and to be discipled. Mm -hmm. I think 
if you're connected in the church and you're in a community group or you're in a Bible study or whatever, um, that you are surrounded by women um, that you can see like, you know, that this is an older lady that I've gotten to know because, you know, we talk at community group or we, you know, I've heard her answer questions in Bible study and she seems like she really knows what she's talking about. And, <laughs> you know, so I think that, you know, she might be somebody I want to ask to disciple me. And so I think just being involved is a good, um, just a good starting point. And there are lots of opportunities other than Sunday morning as well. And I, I encourage, and I'm saying this to me because we do not arrive early enough for me to um, speak to you. Um, and I don't, I, I, that's a whole other issue. But um, since we don't do the, the announcements in the middle anymore and have the turnaround greet and meet kind of thing, it really is important for us, Amy, to get here earlier so that as we are preparing our hearts for worship, we're also noticing those in our section. And as Brad has said before, we need to be the mayors of our sections, get to know who's sitting there, um, or find a new section and every week move to a different, a different section. And when you look around and see someone who is sitting directly behind you before you leave that day, you know, introduce yourself to her and write your, I've done this before, I've written down my name and my phone number and, you know, if she's new to the area and just said, I was born and raised here. There's a lot about Columbus I know. Um, there's a lot about Columbus I don't know, but I'm certainly welcome. Uh, certainly welcome you to contact me and let's, you know, let me help you find a new doctor if you need it. Or if you think my hair's cute, you can use my hairdresser um, <laughs> and that kind of thing. So, uh, but just you know, giving her your information is is a huge step. And I have heard from these girls, not all of them, but several have said, you know. Thank you so much for that. Can we get together? I want to. I, I want to know more about Columbus, and and so there's that op opportunity as well to make a new friend, and you never know what will come from that. So be involved, Melissa. Well, I was going to say that you know we do need to follow Jesus. I agree. I was thinking what Karen said. I mean, the Holy Spirit I think is the main. You know, we have to pray and you know put that before you know and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and. Um, but I, I think we do, too, need to be careful to um, follow Jesus' example. He had 12 men, and he really spent quality time with just a few, you know, like, I mean, we don't really know exactly, but in the scripture, you know, there were several that he spent more time with. And if Jesus doesn't have time to do it all, so we do need to be aware of our time and, and, and I think have women who really want to surrender their lives to Christ and who are teachable and who are serious about it because like Karen said you want that to multiply and you want it to be you know something that um, um, scriptural so you know just be wary of that don't try to follow and chase somebody who's who doesn't have time for you know who keeps rescheduling you know that might be a, a sign that this is not going to happen mm -hmm. and it's not you know not what God wants for, for me right now if they don't have time and can't keep those commitments then it's not going to work. The thing is, uh, the Lord will bring someone to your heart that you need to spend time with. And he keeps bringing them. And he keeps bringing them. And I'm going, really? And he keeps bringing them. So finally, I said, okay, I will ask her if she would like to be discipled. And uh, that's how it starts. 
but it's really, I, I always pray, Lord, if this is not of you and this is me, uh, make it just so true and real. And uh, so he's so faithful to bring those women that he wants me to disciple. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, just by a show of raising your hands, how many people are looking for someone to disciple them that are actively like looking for someone to disciple them and have been praying? Are there, I've been praying about, well, see, that's encouraging. Um, for me, it took five months for God to, like, it was in a clear, five months of praying and just asking God, like, show me who to approach. And it wasn't because I was fearful of rejection. It was because I knew God knew where I was in my walk and what I needed to grow. And so it was amazing. Like, it was in the prayer closet, really. It was in the prayer closet where God revealed to me, like, who to go up to. And the moment I sent her an email, she said, come to my house tomorrow morning. I want to get to know you. And, and, and it goes right back to like what Karen says. You know, it's that here I am, Lord. Here I am. Use me. Send, send people into my life. And God will. It's like through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to show you, hey, that sister in Christ needs you in this season of her life. Pour out. Be willing to pour out. Don't, don't, don't look at the circumstances of what your days may look because, you know, obviously if we're so focused on the here and now, we'll be like overwhelmed immediately. But just say, God, okay, if this is what you want, I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to pour out into this person by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, it's, yeah, it's just so amazing. Yep, that's great. Well, this kind of segues into this next awkward question. What do you do when you are being discipled or have someone you are discipling and it's just not going well? What do you do? Kick them to the curb. No. I'll tell you what I do. Uh, I have had this happen a couple of times, and it makes me sad. Normally, they're too busy. They don't have time. They're so entangled in things of the world, they don't have time. And after not meeting and not meeting, I finally asked them to just, um, we'll just put this on hold. And when you have more time to commit, to learn, to grow, to mature, um, just call me. I'm available. And I want to leave it on a positive, happy note. And, uh, but you know, sometimes people are just too busy, too busy. So it's just a sad thing, but that's life. That's life. We're all too scared to talk about anything that was bad because she might be sitting out there. No, I'm teasing. That's not true. But I do have something to add. Like, there have been times that I had to speak truth, hard truth to people. And um, something that I learned from my mentor was give them the word. And so she would, like, I carry my Bible everywhere I go. And so if there is hard truth that needs to be spoken, I'd, give, I'd, I'd say, hey, read this scripture to yourself. You know, they would read it out loud, whether it's, like, someone struggling to forgive or struggling to love someone that's difficult like just have them read the word and let the word speak to them if you're that chicken <laughs> you know because it can be intimidating sometimes you know yeah. where you don't want to speak the truth but let the, the word of God speak for itself yeah it's not our opinion it's it's what does the word say always pointing back to what scripture has to say Brooke um, piggybacking off of what both of them said um, I think that sometimes we just have to have discernment and just you know again like following the Holy Spirit's lead like just kind of see like maybe maybe they're kind of 
seasons are changing and they don't, you know, maybe discipling right at that point won't work. Like maybe it needs to be put on hold, like Karen said, or maybe, um, maybe your job right now is to just love them because sometimes our, I mean, because God um, calls us to more than anything, like love and serve others and point them to him. And so whether that's directly discipling someone or whether that's just have, just continuing to love them, but realizing they're not in a discipling season, right. Or, a season of that right now, like we can still, um, you know, just pour out God's love on them. Yeah. Uh, sometimes when I've been approached by someone asking to be discipled, I will, I'll meet with them and I will say, or I, or I will just send a, an email to her or text and just say, what is it you're expecting? What are your expectations of our relationship? And that lets me know, is she really wanting to know more about Christ and grow in her relationship with Christ, or is she wanting to know how to clean her house? And and I'm not saying that, uh, you know, I don't say that in jest, because that's important too. We are to teach women how to be, you know, caregivers in their home. Um, and I can certainly do that, but it lets me know, okay, that's just a, that's just a lunch meal. We're going we're gonna to get together and have lunch, or I'm going to have her over for coffee, and we'll just talk about that. But investing uh, further into her discipling with Christ lets me know that's going to take a bigger chunk of, of time and, um, and more focus and a schedule for me to be able to meet with her. So I, that's one thing I suggest to you, too, is find out what her expectations are right off the bat, and that'll clue you in from the beginning. All right. What encouragement, this is our last question, so what encouragement do you have, what final words do you have to pour out to these women on either being discipled, any encouragement to, um, you know, move forward in discipling others or to pray further? What, what do you have to say as your final parting gift? Wow. Lau? Well, I want to say... Don't wait till you think you're ready. Oh, yeah. Because my first thought when somebody comes up to me is, me? You want me to do that? But then I remember what God has called me to, and it's not because I'm prepared and I'm able, but he's able. And so if someone asks you, he'll, he'll do it. You don't have to. And then the other thing is if you're looking for someone, don't be afraid because, you know, if, if it's not the person you asked the first time, then maybe it's somebody else you're connecting to. And sometimes, I know some of these ladies, their plates are full. Um, I hope I'm not speaking for them, and they're not. But um, if they can't, they'll find somebody that, that would. And I, I want to read this because I don't want us to leave today without, without this from Titus 2 because it applies to all of us. Uh, yes, I am older, and nobody's going to ask me about my cute hair. So Oh, girl, it is cute. Uh, it'll have to be another reason. But... Um, Older women, it's Titus 2, 3, old, and we've all heard it, but it doesn't hurt us to hear it again. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious, malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. I don't want to dishonor the word of God. And... I know you don't either. So just be open to what the Lord is call, maybe calling you to do. I just wanted to read this verse too. It's 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. 
Um, and it says, And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about today. The things that we know, the things that we've learned, that's what we're supposed to do to teach it to others so that they will do do the same. Like Karen said, she calls people to do that. And I think that's what it's all about. Well, ladies, thank you so much for sharing. We, um, I'm sorry we don't have time for questions from you, but if you do have a question that we did not cover and you want to talk more thoroughly about it with one of us, grab us afterwards and we'll be happy to talk with you or point you to someone else who might have the answer that we may not have. So anyway, thank you, ladies. Y'all, you, you were great. I appreciate your willingness to be up here and to just... Um, share and be real with all of us so you can now scoot back to your chairs so you don't feel awkward when the music starts and everybody stares at you while we sing all right so amy if you and the the ladies want to come back up as we uh, prepare to close for today i just want to kind of wrap our morning together up with a few things and just to, as a reminder um, it's about the word. It's about our relationships with Jesus. And so if you're, if you kind of feel like you are being called to disciple or, or not being called or whatever, if God's calling you to a season of connecting with him, one-on-one -on -one with him, then you be obedient to do that. My other, my other takeaway from this is let's not make discipling an idol. Um, it's not a check mark. It's not a to-do. It's not to come above our relationship with Jesus Christ. So please hear me when I say none of us expect you to be the supreme discipler ever. We want Jesus to be that, okay? And we want the Holy Spirit to be that. So this was not to laud and lift up discipling. It's just a topic of interest, and it is one of the things that we are called to do as, as soldiers of Christ. So hear me when I say that. And the other thing is, thank you so much for coming. Uh, there, are, there are ways for you to connect further from today. Um, if you're a member of Crosspoint, we have a monthly ladies' lunch. We did not do that this month because we wanted you to be here today. Um, but we will, we have those on the, uh, is it the second or the third? I've drawn a blank. It's the third Thursday. Yes. Uh, third Tuesday. Okay. When we get together and we, we have, um, lunch together. So that's a way to connect. We also have community groups that you could be involved in. We have our Sunday morning times. We have our one another meetings. We have our Wednesday night, um, you know, get togethers where we have a meal and a message. That's not every Wednesday. Those are seasonal, so just kind of stay tuned for those. Coming up also are more fellowship opportunities for you as ladies of Cross Point, where we will have open houses for you to go to a, a, a lady's home once a quarter, um, have brunch, just kind of a mix and mingle and get to know one another, another opportunity to, to meet someone here you may not know, as well as evening fellowship opportunities that will be coming up too. So um, we just encourage you to, to stay active in your church body, be a woman who's willing to pour out, whether it's just saying hello and giving a hug or whether it's investing on a weekly scheduled basis. Just love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. 
All right. Thank you all for coming. We're going to conclude with Amy Duncan and company. Thank you all for being here.